Hello and welcome back to the FEZ show. It is the 16th of July and another piece of the puzzle of the driver market has been placed in front of us as Sam Bird has moved to Jaguar and Nick Cassidy has joined Virgin Racing. So we've got so much to talk about today and with me to do so is William Dodds and Edward Hunter. Morning boys. Good evening or good morning, depending on where you are in the world, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Well, this the thing is now, right? So we've got to try and make it daily because it currently is the 15th of June. But when this goes out, it will be the 16th of June. So we've got to try and make out like it's still the 16th of June. You've got to try and, try and be current, Ed. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it is pretty dark in your room. So it does prove and everyone's got like, it's not dark. We can see you beautifully, but we can tell that it's the evening. It's not like you don't need to be a wizard to work out. It's not the daytime. Oh, no, Jack. It's, it's very early morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's six o'clock. What are we talking about? Will, By the way, Will's you... here too. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've been... Um locked inside my house for so long that I don't actually know what time of day it is at any point. So, um, yeah, good morning. You might have to open the curtains. Maybe you'll find out. No, can't risk it. <laughs> no, I know. I can't risk it. Not with the camera. No. But boys, we got to talk Formula E. We've got to talk Formula E and that is the driver market. First, we'll talk Sandberg because obviously we talked about it briefly on the show as it was speculation. Um, we sort of you know, we put in a request at Formula Retail to interview Sam Bird and Robin Fryans for hopefully future magazine features. But when Virgin said, look, if you're going to do that, don't ask anything about Jaguar. So then that was like a big hint that, okay, it looks like that maybe, you know, Jaguar thing isn't happening. I mean, is happening, sorry. Um, and because they don't want anyone to talk about it. But Will, what did you think of the move? Sam Bird, I think personally, as I said on the previous show, it's a do or die move for Sam. It's he has to prove himself against Mitch and win a championship and if he doesn't prove himself against Mitch that's the end of his Formula E career um I maybe wouldn't go that harsh because I think there'll always be a, a place in the grid for someone like Sam Bird he's a proven winner proven like quality operator so maybe even if he does go up against Mitch Evans and it doesn't quite work out I can still see teams wanting to take a punt on him but yeah it's it's a huge move um really exciting piece of news and you know me and Ed were talking kind of off air about you know, feeling a little bit sorry for Colado, but I just think this is the way that Formula E is going now. It's, it's cutthroat, and Jaguar know they've got a good car, and they know they've got a great driver in Mitch Evans, and I think that they realise that this is the time to strike, and they want to have the best two drivers they can possibly get in that car to, to try and win a championship, try and win a Constructors' Championship, try and win a Drivers' Championship. So I think it's a great move for them. You know, those are two of the best drivers in Formula E, and they've got them on their team, and they've got a good car as well. So... I'm so excited to see the battle between them as, as teammates. I'm really excited to see Bird potentially. Um, you know, the Envision Road Racing car isn't isn't slow, but it's not been on quite the same level as the Jaguar this season, I think it's fair to say. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, an interesting move all round. I think it only kind of enriches the championship. And, uh, you know, as much as it's kind of hard on, on Collado, I think that's just the way things are going in Formula E now. You've got to hit the ground running because... You know, there are so many good drivers on the market who uh, teams will snap up. Yeah, and Ed, I suppose we got to talk about the Collado thing because I know you've been a big fan of James Collado. But, you know, if we're thinking about rookies and, you know, Neil Yarny looks like he's out and if Pascal Verlaine ever, ever, ever does get announced by Porsche um, for next season. And I'm assuming now, 15th of July, we'd have to expect an announcement in a couple of days if he's going to be racing because there is like this period in the rules where you have to announce your driver lineup three weeks in advance and I don't know because that's a Karen from all the driver swaps 
um, before the final two races of the season. So they've, they've not got long to announce Pascal Verlein if they if they want that, you know, obviously to, for him to race in, in season six for Porsche. But we're potentially looking at Neil Yarny and um, James Collado, obviously two rookies this season, losing their seat. Brendan Hartley potentially keeping his seat. We Obviously, we don't know what Dragon decide to do. But what did you make on James Collado and this sort of rookie sort of thing now that, you know, they just don't get the chance to, to prove themselves anymore? Yeah, I think, especially from, uh, like you say, perspective of someone who's a fan of James Collada, I know not everyone is, but uh, I am. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit, um, it, I don't want to say disheartening, but sometimes, yeah, yeah he, he's only had um, six, five races to really show what he could do. And obviously, he's been, the thing that's counted against him, I guess, is the fact that his qualifying has not been particularly uh, stellar. His best was 10th in Marrakech, which was the last race he had before. Uh, lockdown of course and the pandemic set in but um but he was always uh, pretty much stronger in the races i felt I'm able to score a few points but what's counting against him and will was saying this to me as well off air is that uh mitch evans uh, has been excelling getting the car into in, onto the podium winning races and james collado has not really been anywhere looking like anywhere near in a position to do that and obviously you can say well he's a rookie he's still getting used to the championship still getting used to the car but uh, at the same time uh, you get put in the car and you have to sort of it's like you have to deliver instantly i guess and uh, it's a similar similar issue with neil yani although yani unfortunately doesn't have any points to his name i think uh the reason that porsche haven't announced verline for berlin is because they probably are planning to stick with uh, yani to at least see out the season because porsche uh yani was a big part of obviously porsche's um lmp1 program uh, uh in the morning well, endurance championship and yeah, he won Le Mans in 2016. He was just, uh, he did it for like um, four or five years or something like that, where he was their, basically one of their lead drivers. And of course, won the championship one year as well. And uh, so there's obviously a lot of the same people in that program uh, in Formula E and showing a lot of loyalty to him. So I can understand why they might want to keep him. But Verline seems to be who they want for next year. Yeah, and... It's, it's interesting. What do you think, though, Ed, very quickly, just coming back to you on the Sam Bird thing, you know, obviously we heard Will's thoughts and we heard my thoughts. Do you think it's a do or die for him? Or, or do you see it as, you know, in that Jaguar is moving and, you know, could Sam make, take that team to the next level and then push on to, for Tech Cheetah and then, you know, and, and, and Sam's like that missing piece in the puzzle to make, move the team forward? Or is it just slot him in the car and if he doesn't perform, then he's out? Uh, you make him sound like he's a light bulb and not a driver. But um, but yeah, personally, I think um, from Jaguar's perspective, they want to win the Constructors' Championship and they feel like they have one driver who's uh, bringing in all the points uh, and another driver who isn't doing as well. So if they thought, if they if we had two Mitch Evans, then we would be fighting up with BMW and Tachita and possibly even being ahead of them. And so... Uh, they can't get to Mitch Evans, but they can get Sam Bird, who they've been courting for several years, remember? So this has sort of been a while coming. And uh, I remember saying a few years ago, uh, not a few, a few weeks ago, rather, <laughs> that uh, we had a question about, is Sam Bird ever going to win a championship? And I went against the grain. I said, assuming that he would stay at Virgin, I said, basically, that he could become the Sterling Moss of Formula someone who wins races almost every season, who's really highly rated, but doesn't quite get that title to his name that he so desperately craves and maybe this is a move that's going to um to turn him away from that fate possibly uh he could get 
he's you know completely uh, beaten by Mitch Evans, and you know it could. I, I suppose it's you know foreseeable that that could damage his reputation. Which up to now he's pretty much been unchallenged as the you know team leader at Virgin. Of course, Robin Fryns came in, and Robin Fryns has pretty been the only one to really win races as well as Bird in the same season. Beat him last year in the drivers' championship. So. Virgin will be in good hands even without Sam Bird, but uh, it is a risky move for Bird, but perhaps a necessary one, and one that definitely is going to help Jaguar in the fight for the constructors' championship. So yeah, there's lots of positives. I think it really makes sense from both perspectives. Yeah. So, but will Nick Cassidy, right? Virgin, Sam's actual replacement um, at Virgin Racing. Uh, we saw it. Well, I say it's been reported. People have seen it coming. Um, I don't know what to make of it. Obviously, he's a super Formula champion, so he's coming in. He's coming in on really good terms at the moment, and is, you know he proved himself in the race at home challenge. I don't know if you can prove yourself in the race at home challenge, but he looked incredibly quick there. So obviously, there is some there is some form of raw talent. Obviously, going into that seat, how he adapts to Formula E and the whole one day format and the racing and the, you know the rough and contact of it. Who knows? So. You know, you'd, you'd think Virgin would try and sign a, like a, a high-profile driver to sort of replace Sambo. They've gone with Nick Cassidy, who's got the talent. Maybe not as many people have heard of him. So it might ease the pressure on Nick Cassidy coming into that seat and performing well in the championship alongside Robin Frines. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, and uh, as we've been saying, maybe Cassidy won't get a huge amount of time to prove himself. And, and this is kind of his shot that he, he has to take. I think that on the evidence of, of what he's achieved, as you said, the uh, Super Formula champion, and uh, you know he was very impressive in the Marrakesh rookie test. And uh, I think I read that uh, you know the team were incredibly impressed with his speed, his feedback, just just the kind of way that they they were working with him and they know him. And I think it is kind of the obvious move. Um, I I think Cassidy deserves a chance. Uh, I think he's kind of done enough to to earn this opportunity. And you know, as we've seen, he won't he won't get all the time in the world. But I think that it's a it's a good move from them. And now it's up to him to go and kind of prove that he he deserves it. Um, I think that in France they've got a, another really good driver as well. So you know, as as, as Ed said, you know, France beat Sam Bird in, in the championship last season. Um, and while it hasn't kind of all come together for him this season, it, it hasn't really come together for Bird. You know, other than you know running race one. So. I think it's a. I think it's a good move. Um, obviously, they're going to be gutted to have lost to have lost Bird. You know, he's one of the best drivers in the series and has been, you know, since inception. So, I, th I think that this is the obvious move, and I think Cassidy deserves a shot. I do as well, and it's great to see drivers that you know you don't normally see or you haven't really seen or have been up and coming. You know, they've been doing their bit. They've been you know, performing well and they probably, Nick Cassidy is probably one of those drivers, you know, who doesn't get the sort of media praise or, you know, in the media limelight, Ed, as, as some of the other drivers would have, especially like in your Formula 3s, your Formula 2s, um, who, you know, might miss out on Formula 1 and, and you, it could be a great steal to pick up one of those drivers, like a Jack Aiken, for example, um, coming into Formula, to come into Formula 3. So I think it's good to see um, drivers from other categories and uh, coming into Formula E and obviously new drivers which we haven't really seen before in those junior categories moving up into Formula One. 
Yeah, it's always good to see fresh young talent getting the chance, especially when they hit a sort of financial wall. And Nick Cassidy, I think, is not one of the uh, guys with lots of money behind him. He's someone who usually ends up being parachuted in mid-season into, uh, say, uh, Formula 3 or you know, those sorts of European series, but usually ends up spending most of his time, like you say, in Super Formula in Asia. And perhaps that's why he's not gotten the same coverage in Europe. But he's someone who I think is... Those in the know, those who've been paying attention, uh, very highly rate uh, Nick Cassidy. Uh, of course, you know, he's one of those guys, like like Mitch Evans, like Brendan Hartley from New Zealand. You know, uh, I think I, remember, I first heard of him when he won Toyota Racing Series, which is sort of a winter series. I thought, well, that's a guy to watch out for. And so it's great to see him get his chance. But of course, he's up against Robin Frines. Robin Frines, who basically single-handedly ended Simone Di Silvestro's career, uh, beat Antonio Fuchs Acosta, beat Sam Bird. So Frines, uh, he may not be, you know, uh, the, you know, someone that instantly comes to mind as like a Formula E specialist, but he's extremely talented in his own right. So Cassidy is going to have a real battle on his hands to show up well against uh, Robin Frines. I think now, though, just very quickly, as we end the topic on sort of the driver market sort of stuff, it's sort of all in place now. We're not expecting any dramatic changes. I think any dramatic changes would come from either Dragon or Venturi. Um, but we're not expecting anything to come from them. The only person that we've kept talking about, and I don't want to repeat ourselves too much from mine and Jack's episode in the last one, where we talked about Oliver Tully, but I want to get your views on this now. Because my question is, Will, is Neo now a safe seat for for Turvey? And what I mean by that is, he's so underrated. People say he's incredibly underrated, but if he goes to Mahindra, let's say Mahindra now, with this Alex Lynn being in that seat, he is the last one that's the last seat available, and if Alex Lynn does a great job there, then you can't really deny Alex Lynn the chance to, you know, go for that seat in Season 7. But what I mean by Turvey being safe is, if he stays in that Neo bubble that he's created, he is that underrated driver. He is that driver that's so good that shouldn't be in that car that he's in, unless Neo drastically improve. Whereas, if he does go to Mahindra and it doesn't quite work out for him, or he struggles against D'Ambrosio or Lynn, who, who knows um, who, he, who his teammate would be, um, that could be a real downer on, on Oliver Turvey's underrated status compared to where it is at the moment. It, it depends what your motivation is in sport, doesn't it? Um, and some people are motivated by kind of their reputation, some are motivated um, by winning. And I think that for, for one, racing drivers and a lot of sports people, they have you know immense stores of self-belief. And I think that Oliver Turvey will believe that if he goes to if he goes to Mahindra, then he can kind of beat who is put in front of him. Um, I think that it would be a bit of a short-sighted decision to kind of stay in his bubble at Neo with the fear of kind of being beaten by anyone else. And I don't think that that's the way he'll be looking at it. I think that what he'll be doing is assessing whether the options externally from Neo are a better one for his career in terms of being in a faster race car. That's, I think, that will be his only consideration. And, you know, if that comes at, potential of him him losing to someone like Jerome Dunbrogi, I think he'll, he'll take that on the chin because, you know, he's a, he's a quality racing driver and a professional. And what he'll want more than anything else is to be in a car that can compete for race victories and, uh, and points. Because I suppose, Ed, we've seen it with Turvey. And I know you're, you know, you know you have that Neo cap. You're, you're, you're a little soft spot for old Neo, um, Ed. So I just want to get your views on it because obviously Turvey's been their star driver for years and and I suppose now him and Daniel Lapp, this is a huge, as I said in previous episodes, it's huge now going for him. Because if he beats Daniel Lapp going into these six races, then 
he sort of puts him in that level, that category to go, you know what, Mahindra, I deserve this drive. I deserve to be in your team and make your team push forward. So I think, as I said, big six races for Turvey. But what do you think? Do you think he's safe in that seat? And if he doesn't leave there, then he's always going to be this driver who was so underrated but never had the opportunity to, to achieve anything? Or do you see him actually eventually moving on when the opportunity arises? Well, I remember in your interview with Oliver Turvey a few months back, uh, you brought this up with him and he said, look, you know, it's nice to be, uh, you know, underrated and it's nice to hear people saying these great things about you. Uh, but at the same time, you can tell in his, in his response in the interview that he would much rather have a more competitive car, uh, that, it's, that being this underrated guy who everyone acknowledges is way better than the car he's driving is more of a con sort of a consolation for him, I think. Uh, I think he would much rather just uh, be maybe over seen as overrated, but be in like some great machinery that allows him to get amazing results. I think any racing driver would, to be honest, uh, yeah, to be, uh, despite what uh, some like say at the Fernando Alonso's of this world may have you believe. But um, yeah, I, I think it's um, it, it, Berlin is, is another great opportunity because against Mar it's really hard to sort of gauge how well Oliver Terry is driving when the guy in the other car is someone who has really been struggling to get to grips with the championship uh, for many years, unfortunately. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he matches up against Daniel Apton. Uh, will he make the move to Mahindra? Will it, I think the main thing about Mahindra is, is it going to be significantly more competitive than Neo, prom, Neo 333 promises to be going forward? Because we know 333 are going through restructuring at the moment are they going to build their own powertrain are they not there's still the questions that need to be answered there moving to Mahindra like any move what we're talking about San Vezo is a risk but I, I can see the attraction whether he will go with it depends on whether Dilbert Gill and the team are able to really tempt him I think they would personally they would probably love to have Oliver Turvey in the car it also depends how well Alex Lynn goes of course so lots of factors to consider personally I think Turvey uh, inertia has set in at this point he's probably going to stay at Neo 333. Right, so and they won't let him go either. Yeah, well, this, I can't see why Neo would want to let him go, but I suppose why did Virgin want to let Sam go? So at the same time, I don't really think, I think the driver has more to say than the team. I don't think the team can reject proposals or reject offers like in, um, like in football, for example. But let's talk something different. We're going to talk about the calendar now, actually, because, you know, a report came out that Formula E, and to be fair, like, this report that came out probably has always been happening, like Formula and talks about 26 different cities, but there were some few interesting cities that I wanted to pick out, which, and maybe talk about overall, like, what calendar size do Formula E want? Because obviously we've got double header races in, in one city, Saudi Arabia and London, for example, but before not having any double header races, how many races, like, cities do we actually want to visit? Because I think it's 12 cities at the moment, 14 races. So, I think we're going to discuss that. But some of the cities, Will, that I want to talk about, Japan. You know, for me, Japan is huge. Um, a huge market that Formula E, I think, needs to break into. Um, and they're talking to Yokohama, which we've discussed before, because if you can't fit into Tokyo, or maybe even Kyoto, for example, Yokohama, through the Rugby World Cup, through just lots of sports going on in, in Japan at the moment, uh, and in previous years, you know, Yokohama's really built itself up as some sort of, you know, a city that, you know, could be in contention. So I was really happy, actually, to see that Formula E are talking to Japan, and Yokohama especially. Yeah, I mean, Japan has always 
been a brilliant host of uh, Formula One Grand Prix and uh, you know he's got in Fuji and uh, Suzuka in recent years you know two absolutely fantastic circuits so yeah I think that it's obviously a country with a huge kind of motorsport heritage and you know plenty of, of manufacturers that have been successful in in kind of all forms of motorsport so it would make a huge amount of sense for Formula to try and uh, really break into that that market and that huge fan base so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Formula go to Japan. Um, I think that it has the potential to, to be really popular. And I think, yeah, as you say, um, I like the idea of not just always kind of aiming at the capital cities. And, you know, if, if Yokohama has kind of been this bit of a hub for, for sports, then I think that it makes a, a huge amount of sense. And the thing is, imagine the Formula E merchandise that, to Japan. What, what, what sort of hat will we get? We won't get no DRS hat, but... What sort of rear diffusers type hat will we get from a Formula E? Maybe it'd be the front rather than the actual rear of the car. But I think Japan, honestly, Ed, would be an amazing thing. But another, there's a couple of seas, obviously, there's tons of seas to talk about, but we're not going to talk about all of them. Um, then, you know, for example, you know, Formula E wanting another race in China. I don't think we need another race in China. You know, even move away from Sanya, because Sanya's like, you know, where, what's Sanya? Like, where, you know, I know it's like the capital of this little, yeah. It's like a capital of this little tiny island off the off the you know coast of China, basically mainland China. But if you want to properly race in China, like we were in Beijing or Shanghai, for example, um, go to those cities and drop Sanya. I don't think we need two races um, in China, for example. But it is a big market for them, though, of course, for electric cars in China. So I can see from manufacturers' point of view while they're pushing for that. Of course, but then I suppose at the same time, like. I, I don't know. I just don't think we need two races in China. I think one is enough um, because we want to try and fit as many different cities as possible. When you've got 26 different countries, technically, or cities talking to you, you want to try and fit as, and have a broad range. If you start building up a potential 16-round championship with two from the same city, same country, sorry, then it gets a bit stale. I feel I feel like. yeah, also, not sure if you guys have been reading these, but China, not exactly favour of the month right now in international no, relations. of course. Um, but anyway, Cape Town. Cape Town in South Africa, Ed, was another one I was thinking of. And Jack, for Jack Pico, um, Sweden, um, in Heiselberg. I suppose Will could probably better pronounce that than myself. But, you know, some interesting seeds that I think Cape Town would be awesome again, Africa, if we do lose Marrakesh, to go back into South Africa this time of Cape Town. And I think Sweden, a city, obviously, did have a racetrack, I think it's Anstrup, um, which is the racetrack again, I have no... And a stop. Sorry, I knew my pronunciation was not going to be correct on that. Um, and obviously, there is a, like a sort of racing culture in Sweden, and obviously, Sweden is sort of, you know, ahead of the game in terms of twenty twenty five. I think it is that they want to sort of ban the petrol and and you know and diesel cars and move to just the more electric cars being produced and driven on those roads. So I think Sweden could be a, a huge market um, for Formula E to show off what that country is actually doing with electric vehicles. Yeah, I agree completely about uh, Sweden as well. It's almost a shame that Felix Rosenquist has gone to IndyCar and gotten his first win in IndyCar very recently, actually. But it would be great to have uh, him or another talented uh, Swede, uh, super Swede, as it were, in Formula E to really get uh, the fans to really get behind a bid, perhaps. One place where uh, that is on the list uh, that we haven't talked about yet is Eindhoven in, in the Netherlands. Obviously, Robin Freins, Nick de Vries in the championship for joining with Mercedes, big manufacturer too, both doing really well. And, uh, th there's a big support behind that bid as well. We did a story on that, I think, uh, earlier this year or at the very end of last year. 
and uh, it's good to see that 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 bit is still open that uh, people are sort of taking that seriously as well so I, I think more in central europe would be really interesting but cape town south africa also really interesting is a sort of if obviously with marrakesh dropping off the calendar to have uh, somewhere else to go to in uh, africa as the continent because obviously it's a fascinating place and really that's going to be an interesting to see how electric mobility affects it but we're, what do we think now about the calendar, right? Because as I said, it's 12 cities, 14 rounds. Okay, let's imagine that we've got our, what is it? The um, two doubleheaders at London. Well, two races at London, two races at Deria, right? So that's four rounds already. How many rounds do Formula E need? How big? Because obviously like Formula 1, 22 races this season. It's a huge calendar. I'm not saying we go that big. But to, to be honest with you, with the amount of cities that want Formula E races and the amount of interest they could easily fill a 22 race calendar i think formula re um excluding double headers probably so i was just trying to think what would your roughly you know for me i think personally i, I would say 17 18 would be with double headers so you, you'd probably go to about 15 cities and have like a couple of double headers um what would your you know how many cities would you like formula to go to how big of the calendar would you like to see um, it's a difficult one. I'm, I'm probably not one of these people who subscribes to this idea that kind of less is more uh, with motor racing. I know there are a lot of people who are kind of railing against the idea of you know, 22 Grand Prix in a season and uh, you know, they go back to the days when we only had 15 or you know, eight races in a whole season. But um, yeah, I, I like the idea of, of adding more races, you know, more Formula E that I see on, on TV and, and get to go to like the better for me. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're probably right. About 18 is is probably the limit because you've got to consider firstly that you know this is a series partly about championing and furthering the cause of of kind of reversing climate change. And I don't think that you know the best way to set that example was by you know ridiculous air miles travelling all over the world all year round. So I think the idea of, of kind of double headers and uh, you know regional based rounds where you know you're limiting travel as much as possible is probably a, a good way to to go. But yeah, I think the idea of, of um, you know, I think Ed was talking about Eindhoven, but also um, I think I read a story on the website recently about potentially going to Assen as a permanent circuit. Um, but then also um, I recently did a, a spoke with uh, Tasman Pepper, who's a South African racing driver in the W Series, and she was talking about kind of motorsport in, in South Africa and, you know, the, the fact that it's kind of gone under the radar slightly, especially since it lost a Grand Prix back in the 90s so I really like the idea of, of going to South Africa for a race so yeah I think I think uh, for me I think you're probably spot on there with about 18 rounds I probably would get rid of the double header in Deria because you know I don't think it's the best race on the calendar although they had two pretty good rounds um, earlier this season um, yeah it, it all depends as well because you know if you're getting out to the you know Gen 3 and we're having longer races then maybe uh, it's slightly different, but if you know you've got short races, you know one, you know twelve forty-five minute races a season doesn't seem like that much. So it really depends what they do with Gen Three, but I think probably eighteen is a, is a sensible number. And just picking up actually, because the comment you made there actually about flying miles, right, has been a widely debated one. Um, and Formula E obviously wanted to build a calendar that was economical, but obviously with this introduction of Jakarta and South Korea in the middle of the the European season, Ed, it's really, you know, the air miles are all over the place at the moment. And Formula E, people saying, you're supposed to be a green championship and you're flying around the world left, right and centre um, isn't proving um, isn't proving good 
in for those credentials. So obviously we're talking about increasing the calendar. And I, I think for with Formula E when they go into season eight and they become obviously a world championship next season, but they'll be um, the second season of their world championship. They haven't really had a chance to add these series that they probably wanted to add next year, probably because of the current situation with the pandemic probably hasn't been able to happen. So season eight pushing into season two um, of the world championship probably makes sense, but it's got to be clever in how they do this because if they do start flying here there and everywhere then you know it's not a championship that is trying to promote sustainability yeah it's certainly not great for the image and it certainly sets off those internet commentators who like to waggle their fingers as you demonstrated so beautifully is there but um yeah i think um i think i remember jack nicole's being asked about this a while back and he said basically look you know um i don't think it's hypocritical flying around what using, you know, what everyone else uses, but then setting up this event that's carbon neutral and making our point that way. And I think, I think you still have to at least make some kind of attempt. I like sort of what Extreme Me is trying to do, well, the gang is trying to do with Extreme Me, of course, uh, where he's got the whole thing on a boat. And so there's, there's big gaps between the races in Extreme Me. And so they all got on this uh, older re retrofitted uh, cruise liner and they basically are, have all the teams of living there and go from, you know, from race to race on, on well, they put all the cars on the boat and they go from stage to stage or, you know, circuit to circuit, as it were, on extreme means. I'm, I'm a little unclear about how they construct the circuits, but whatever, it's all in these uh, relatively abandoned places. But uh, I don't think, obviously, it's not like a one to one, but there's a sort of attempt there. And I think Formula needs to really think about, um, like I say, the image that it you know, shows to the world. I think. I think it needs to do more to highlight the green stuff that it already does rather than necessarily rethinking the wheel, in my opinion, and sort of trying to, you know, put it so there's only five rounds per season, but, you know, they all go, everything's delivered by freight and it takes ages. And uh, obviously, other things, there's so many things that can cancel a race, like, you know, uh, someone wants to hold a festival on that street, so the whole circuit that you're going to use has to be like thrown out the window. Basically, that's what happened in one of the uh, the Swiss Prix at Zurich, wasn't it? Yeah, one year, and that's why they moved to Bern. And of course, they have protests at Bern too. So all sorts of little things can happen. That's more the thing, sort of things that formally, you know, logistically is trying to get the work their head around. They're not necessarily, uh, it may not necessarily be the first thought of oh we need to make sure the calendar's ordered in this way it's more we need to make sure the race happens rather than we need to make sure it's necessarily giving the right image to people the way we transport the freight and such right so the last thing to talk about actually before we go because we're running out of time but will i just want to point this out to you um mission control formula read they reduce it part of the cost savings are tons of things formula doing the cost savings reducing the amount of tires they can have to from four to three reducing the amount of personnel that can be at the circuits and now they're going to reduce the amount of sort of the mission control the sort of the data side of things that's coming from the car obviously there's not much at the moment but trying to reduce that so there's sort of that helps with the less people being there because you don't have to have, to have people there to monitor said mission control and all the strategy and all that sort of stuff. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Obviously, a lot of cost-saving talk at the moment, and obviously with Gen 2 Evo, um, which could be running for one year, not one year, and that's like 300000 a car. So I'm with everything that Formula are doing currently right now, I don't think Gen 2 Evo will run. But what do you think, obviously, Formula E reducing the sort of control for teams with their sort of strategy mission control sort of stuff in an order to to cut costs cut, cut costs there we go uh yeah i mean it's just the kind of way that the world and motorsport is going um you need to find ways of of making things more affordable but you also 
need a way of, of limiting the amount of people in and around the track. Um, and I think this has been the case, as we've seen Formula One and IndyCar and NASCAR return. They're, they're doing it on a slightly stripped back basis. And, you know, I don't think that it's ideal for the teams because they obviously want everything that they possibly can so that they can make their car go fast. But at the same time, I don't think from an entertainment standpoint, it's something that necessarily we see as, as, as fans or uh, as journalists. So, yeah, I think that it's unfortunately just one of these kind of side effects of the current situation that we're living in. But hopefully, in terms of the spectacle, it, it won't have a huge impact. And as you know, as they always say, you know, the less data, the less running that these teams have because they're so professional and so um, sophisticated in the way that they kind of manage these cars, the, the more exciting and unpredictable racing we get. So maybe it will contribute in that way. But yeah, I, I think that from a spectacle standpoint, it's fine. Boys, we've come to the end of the show. Thank you so much for being on today. Uh, no worries, Jack. Thank you very much. Right, so remember, um, Twitch. We have a Twitch channel. We're obviously, we're, we're really looking forward to the season restarting and hopefully we can use Twitch for some more chat sort of live shows. But in the meantime, we've still got it. So we're playing some F1 2020. So if you're free and available uh, and you can catch one of our streams, hit the link below. Um, also, we've got a Discord channel, so if you want to hit the Discord link, come and join the, the party, basically, that's going on in the Discord channel at the moment with our community. Feel free to do that. And finally, there's something else that we can talk about. Actually, yeah, like and subscribe the video. How can you forget that as a YouTuber? To yeah, how could you, hit the like yeah. And the subscribe button. I've been going on about it for weeks. Um, but yeah, if you haven't hit the like and subscribe button and you haven't subscribed to us, please do. Thank you so much. You've been watching the FEZ Show. We'll be back next week. Goodbye.